It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the home of common sense, the place where straight talking is absolutely the thing to do. Uh, it's the thing we do for the next three hours. We're going to be welcoming you through a whole range of stories. We've got some eco-nutters out on the M25 smashing up petrol stations now. Just stop oil. Just stop being vandals. Uh, just lock these people up, please. Thank you very much indeed. Uh, if you're out and about and you see any of these characters, please do let us know so we can tell other people what they're up to. Uh, they've decided apparently uh, not uh, sufficient is it to glue themselves to the M25 they're able to stop people actually getting petrol and diesel while driving around the M25 which is going to cause all manner of problems for people who obviously need to get from point A to point B some people actually have to earn a living they can't hang around pretending to be middle class demonstrators uh, eating cabbage all day uh, we want to hear from you 0344 499 1000 this morning we're going to talk about the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth because there seems to be several truths out there Keir Starmer, for example, was he at a party when he was seen in a 43-second video up in Durham swigging from a bottle of beer? Uh, should he be investigated by the Durham police? Well, the Durham police seem to think they should reinvestigate the case, even though they cleared him before because it was a work event. Well, how is it different? As many people have said, even Sophie Rayworth asked him uh, at uh, news at the on the Sunday morning show on the BBC on Sunday, how is it any different from Boris Johnson's cake party? Now, I don't want to get bogged down in all of this stuff, but you can't ignore it. If the leader of the opposition, a man uh, who was very enthusiastic about voting through all of these COVID restrictions, uh, was actually brave breaking them himself. Well, I think he should be handed a penalty notice and I would be very happy to see Angela Rayner calling for his resignation, if you don't mind. Uh, Also, what's the truth about what's going on inside the House of Commons? We're told a Tory MP uh, was spotted watching pornography on his phone. Now, first of all, you'd have to be an absolute grade A idiot to do something like that in your place of work. Certainly not in a place like the House of Commons where when you sit on a bench, there are several people who can see what's on your phone because they sit behind you, right? It's a bit like looking at it on a bus where you've got people sitting behind you on a bus. You wouldn't do that either. I don't know why you would do it in the first place, but if you are going to look at porn, surely you're not going to look at it while you're inside the House of Commons, the Chamber of Democracy, the mother of all parliaments. Really? 
I'm not so sure. And it could have been that something popped up on a screen that somebody saw that they thought was pornography and maybe even was pornography. But I have to say, I'm a little bit dubious about exactly what is going on here. We'll be talking to Nick Dubois to find out. Also, we've got Professor Frank Ferradi up first. He's going to talk to us about freedom of speech, Twitter, Elon Musk, the whole shebang. Uh, but we've got many, many other things to discuss as well. And it's Thursday. The Thursday Club is going to be entertaining us. Uh, Helena Nicola is going to be popping in. I'm not quite sure which delight she's bringing with her. Uh, but also Sebastian Gorka will be here, Donald Trump's former advisor in the White House, to get his side of the story from what's going on in the United States of America. Hillary Clinton's name uh, may indeed come up. But this morning, let us start with a conversation uh, with our favourite professor, one of our favourite professors anyway. Uh, he is, of course, uh, the famous Professor Frank Ferradi, sociologist, author, free speech campaigner. Frank, a very good morning to you. Good morning to you as well. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. It's, a, it's an interesting thing, the truth, isn't it? There seems to be now abroad, what, what can we describe as a sort of a, a difference of opinion about what the truth actually means? Because you can have your own truth, uh, I can have my truth, we can have somebody else's truth, um, and we can all have to sort of jump to the same tune, even though we don't know what the truth is. I think you're right, because we live in a, a, a world where people live in a parallel universe. So you get a situation where... There are kind of certain kinds of people talk to only people like themselves. And for example, if you were a Remainer uh, in the Brexit referendum, then from your perspective, the only truth is how horrible things have become since Brexit. And you continually see the worst in everything. And you almost enjoy drawing uh, to people's attention all the bad things that are happening. And you make this causal link between that and Brexit. Mm. And similarly, I mean, you mentioned Parliament, what's going on there. It's, it's come to the point now where you kind of think that if you're a, a male member of Parliament and you happen to smile at a female member of Parliament, that could be and is expected to be interpreted as a sign of misogyny. I mean, we're now living in a world where a smile or an act of miscommunication is now redefined as a cultural crime. Mm. So then the newspaper is reported and they talk about all these horrible things going on in Parliament. And I don't know if you noticed, but the last few days, we don't talk about politics at all or political policy issues. You know, we're not talking about the issues that affect normal human beings. All we're talking about is how un uncomfortable people in Parliament are. And you would think that if you're an MP, you'd have a, a thick enough skin to be able to put up with the fact that now and again, you encounter some unpleasant experiences. Well, that's the thing. And already people are jumping all over this story uh, about the, the Tory MP uh, and his phone and saying this is very much evidence of this misogynistic atmosphere that, you know, there's this ridiculous situation going on where, where you know, uh, it's like a boys club. People get drunk, they get into fights. I mean, all of these incidents that have happened have happened over time, uh, have been relatively minor, I would say, and have been no more than you would get in any group. Of, of, of people working together. I mean, there's hundreds and hundreds of people working there and you might expect there to be one or two um, incidents that may be considered to be unsavoury, but I don't think you can then categorise that the entire workplace is toxic, can you? Well, no, because um, in, in any circumstance, any workplace, you have idiots and just because you're a member of parliament doesn't mean to say that you're not one of those people. Right. And, you know, and we, we know that when you meet some of these uh, parliamentarians... They're not exactly God's gift to you know, <laughs> human civilization. They just happen to have gotten elected and often are you know, very kind of clumsy in the way they express themselves. And probably what we have here is a situation where 
even an, an, an individual who is just behaving in a really silly kind of a way with no, no bad intention. But the minute it gets reported, it acquires a momentum of its own and it becomes the story. And the media just love it. I mean, sometimes when I listen to uh, the Today program on the BBC. You shouldn't do that. I do it. <clears throat> I'm a masochist. <laughs> I do it. And I look at my wife and we say to each other, either we're crazy or they've gone crazy right. because all they do is just talk about misogyny for 45 minutes. It's this kind of painful process whereby they put under the microscope the behavior of every single male politician and invariably find something wrong with that, some kind of malevolent behavior. Right. That kind of attitude I used to think was just made up, was just invented, but they actually think like that. Right. I mean, that is their you know, sort of mental outlook where they just imagine that we are living in a world where there's a war going on between men and women, and we have to, you know, so you have to be on the right side of history, as they say. Yes, but you might not be either one of those things, of course, while being on the right side of history. You might decide that you're neither a man nor a woman, uh, and we have kind of become this kind of peak narcissist society, I think, where people have got not enough things to worry about, in my view, uh, where we are told that people are fleeing dangerous war zones and coming to uh, our shores on dinghies, although nobody's talking about the fact that since the Rwanda manoeuvre, nobody's actually coming because actually they don't fancy going to Rwanda. But then we see some real refugees who are coming from a real war zone um, and everybody changes their mind and goes, oh, um, actually, well, those must be real refugees because there's no men. They're women and children. You know, um, it's almost like we've been sort of um, groomed, if you like, by society to think a certain way. And if you don't think that way, there's something wrong with you. Yeah, exactly. And, it, and it's interesting because uh, I, I went to the Ukraine a couple of weeks ago and on my way back, I met some American journalists, you know, who just crossed the border with me. And I was very excited about the war, all the things that were going on. And they were having a discussion. You wouldn't believe this, but they were having a discussion about their pronouns. You know, sort of what kind of pronouns do they use? And uh, at first, I thought they were just joking. I thought they were just taking, you know, taking right. the mixture. But they were that serious. You know, at the middle of a war, yeah. their mindset was focused on being on the right side of wokishness and, and making sure that they were seen in such a way that they kind of bought into this gender-neutral, you know, sort of ideology. Yes. I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? That people were actually joking when the Rwanda manoeuvre was suggested uh, that only um, people with families would be allowed in. Uh, first, of, there was the conversation that, well, probably some of these guys will pretend that this woman is their wife, or maybe some of them will actually start identifying as women. Uh, and then they'll be easily absorbed into uh, any local council up and down the country. They will, and they will be celebrated for being so brave <laughs> yes. and coming back, yes. Yes, the brave part wasn't actually leaving a war zone or running the gauntlet of a sniper fire. It was actually changing their gender uh, into something that it, it, it isn't. Let's talk about uh, the EU. Um, President Macron re-elected uh, for the first time in 20 years. The French get a, a second-term president. Um, a lot of people saying that uh, he wasn't really getting a vote of confidence from the French people. They just didn't really want uh, Marine Le Pen. Uh, what does it mean for uh, French-English relations? And what does it mean as well for the EU? Well, I think the EU is sighing a, a big breath of relief because they were desperately worried about Le Pen winning the election. And yet this unprecedented situation where all these EU prime ministers <clears throat> were 
uh, writing letters and writing newspaper articles in French newspapers like Le Monde, advising the French people to vote for Macron, because as far as they were concerned, the future of the European Union demanded that Macron remain president. So from their point of view, this is a very important step. But what's interesting is that the day after the election, the, the president of, 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 the, of, of the Union made a statement where he said, at least for five years, you know, we can, we can carry on and, and things will be all right. But when he said at least for five years, that indicated that he's aware of the fact that a lot of people in the European Union don't like what's happening in Brussels. Mm. I mean, when you have over 40% of the French population being pretty hostile to the European Union, roughly the same proportion as in England, yeah. when you have people in Italy and elsewhere also becoming very skeptical about what's happening there, you can see why this election was so important for them. And uh, I think for, for, for us here in England, uh, the election of Macron <clears throat> is going to be uh, it's not going to represent very much of a change. Macron is very, very suspicious of England, of, of Great Britain. He's uh, got that kind of old-fashioned French sensibility that France must prevail and must be the mm. dominant power within, within the European context. Yes. And at the same Frank, time, I'm, just, I'm just going to stop you there, Frank, for a moment, because we must stop uh, and take a little break and uh, pay for the, uh, the, the privilege of being here on Talk TV on the airways. We'll come back to you, though, uh, with Professor Fra uh, Frank Ferrady, of course, uh, talking about the French, talking about the EU. We will talk about NATO. This is Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republican, Mike Graham. Just by the way, for good measure, we were talking about passports yesterday and passport problems uh, with the passport office and why, in fact, people are having to uh, take weeks and weeks and weeks uh, in order to actually get any kind of passport if they want to go on holiday. It turns out, we'll talk more about this coming up, it turns out the head of the passport office lives in Leicester, over 100 miles away, hasn't been in the office for months, doesn't bother going in. Is it any wonder there's a problem in the passport office? The bloke who runs it doesn't bother going to work. Marvellous, isn't it? Tremendous. Let's continue our conversation with Professor Frank Ferredi. Frank, sorry to interrupt you there. We were talking, just finishing up about the EU and its relationship with France. And, and it's also, I suppose, it's expanding relationship with the rest of Europe because it hasn't been a good couple of years for the EU, has it? Well, no. And now there's a very big problem in the EU, which is, if you remember, the main justification of the European Union was the fact that it, it will stop wars in Europe. Yes. And it even awarded itself the Nobel Peace Prize in 2012 on the grounds that it's magically created a peaceful Europe. And now that the, the war has, you know, in a sense, erupted in Europe itself, it now faces this big problem of what, what's it going to do because its whole identity is based on this uh, fantastical claim. And the big problem for the European Union now is that for the first time, Germany itself, which was the main bulwark of the European Union, is at a loss to know where its place in the world is. And uh, the, the German government uh, has become extremely confused and disoriented. And this has allowed Macron and France to emerge as this mini miracle of the 21st century, where, where he now plays the role that Chancellor Merkel used to play in Germany as, as the main spokesman of the European project. So it's interesting to see this new fragile fluid situation erupting yes absolutely and russia really has become 
the kingpin in all of it, hasn't it? Because we saw yesterday a couple of countries were cut off from supply uh, of Russian gas because they uh, agreed with the uh, with the sanctions that were put on Russia. They refused to pay them in rubles, so now they can't have any more gas. The Germans are still in hock to Russia, still paying them money. The French as well, uh, helping them out militarily up until uh, fairly recently. Um, and so the whole situation uh, with Russia, Russia, it seems to me, has kind of got Europe by the throat, hasn't it? It does, but what's even more complicated is that on the one hand, Russia is able to call the shots as far as energy is concerned. And you're right to draw attention to the duplicitous behavior of both France and Germany in relation to that. But on the other hand, America is becoming increasingly more important. So it's becoming not just a war between Russia and the Ukraine, it's increasingly becoming a conflict, almost like a rerun of the Cold War conflict between the United States and Russia. Right. And that complicates matters because Europe has been edged out from center stage and it's become pretty much of a bit player in this drama. Right. Yeah, kind of picky in the middle almost. And, and as much as Britain is, is playing quite a key role as well, the Russians now are sort of making threats about um, nuclear weapons, making threats about stopping uh, any more supply of, of weaponry to Ukraine from any Western country. Um, how do you see the war kind of going over the next few weeks? Well, I think now it seems fairly clear that we're in for the long haul. Uh, Russia is not going to be able to defeat Ukraine anytime soon. I think it's unlikely that the Ukrainian army is in a position to push Russia out of the east and southern part of the country, particularly the the Donbass region, because the Russians are really well entrenched there. So what we're now faced with is 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 a scenario that's going to carry on and carry on and I don't know if people in this country are aware, but the economic consequences of this are horrific. I mean, you already have a situation where the price of fertilizer has just shot through the roof. It means that people in Africa and other parts of the developing nations are not going to be able to get the food that they need, and their agriculture is going to disintegrate. And many experts are now predicting that because of the economic dislocation that this is causing, this is going to create a new wave of migration into Europe, from, particularly from Africa, but also from the Middle East, in the way that we saw three, four years ago. So the whole world is going topsy-turvy because of the economic destabilization that's kicked in as, as a result of this war. Yeah, and I'm, I'm afraid that uh, the, the long-awaited shortages are actually going to come true. We, we made fun of the calls that shortages were going to happen last uh, sort of before Christmas because they never really did come, and I never really believed that there were going to be any. But, I mean, everything from cars uh, to wheat to, as you say, fertiliser, to oil, to supply chain, um, economics. Everything seems to be somehow run through Ukraine at one point or another. Um, And so, therefore, we are all going to have to prepare ourselves not only for higher prices, but for things you won't be able to get. Yes, this is is a a very very big problem because it basically means that the possibility of having any kind of economic recovery from the pandemic which is what we're discussing, is now basically shot through. That's not going to happen. And what we're really confronted with is the possibility of the kind of high levels of inflation that we used to have in the Weimar Republic in the 1930s, where literally the price of goods changed from one day to the next as they kind of showed up. Now, we're not there yet, but uh, it seems to me that uh, the problems that we're now facing, what working-class families are now facing in England, are in, invariably going to get worse, no matter what the government does. It's, it's not really in, you know, in, in the hands of the government to sort out this problem. The, the level of 
price rises and shortages are going to create massive problems that we somehow have got to start thinking about how we reorganize uh, our lives to be able to absorb this kind of pressure so that we're sufficiently resilient to be able to deal with what is in fact a form of economic warfare. Absolutely right. Let's finish up, Frank, with a word about Elon Musk and Twitter, because I know you feel strongly about what's about to happen there. Uh, We're seeing some people returning to Twitter for the first time. Uh, A lot of people very agitated that Elon Musk has taken over with his $44 billion deal. Um, What do you see happening there? Well, you know, I'm a big free speech uh, fanatic and anything that makes free speech more possible on, on, on Twitter, I'm all for that. However, I don't think that uh, it's in the gift of Elon Musk to change everything all at once for the very simple reason that uh, the control and regulation of speech on Twitter is carried out by different governments and different agencies who are still going to insist that there are certain words you cannot use. This is hate speech. Mm. This is homophobic. This is Islamophobic, whatever phobic you want to talk about. So Musk alone cannot change that. And what I think is going to happen is that... uh, a lot of really woke people are going to uh, freak out. They're already freaking out. They're in a bit of a meltdown. And, and basically, they're saying they're going to leave Twitter. I don't know if that's going to happen. But that's what they say is going to happen. And a lot of other people feel very enthusiastic, and that's good. But to be honest, uh, I think that when, when, when reality hits us six months from now, we'll realize that by and large, we still have the same Twitter with the same old problems. And we still cannot take the freedom of expression and freedom of speech for granted. No, I think that's absolutely right, because it only changes, doesn't it? I mean, there's always going to be problems. There's always, going to be, always will be people who will abuse free speech. There always will be people who will be victims of it. There will be other people who are stopped from doing what they ought to be allowed to do. It's never going to be perfect, is it? No, we just have to be, you know, use our common sense and stand up for our democratic rights. And that's all that we can do. And as long as we're vigilant then free speech will never be uh, undermined in a very fundamental way. It, it will be frayed at the edges, but you know, we have to understand and be, we have to be realistic about this. Yes, I think so. Uh, Professor Frank Ferradi, thank you very much indeed for your time. Always sensible, uh, always interesting and always unmissable uh, here at Talk TV. We've got many, many more people to talk to. Nick Dubois is going to be coming up just after the news, uh, which is coming shortly. He's going to tell us what he makes of the accusations about a Tory MP supposedly watching pornography on his handheld phone while the chamber was actually in session in the House of Commons. I find it incredibly hard to believe that anybody would either be one that stupid or that deliberate about doing something like that. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But we'll take your calls as well. 0344 499 1000 is the number. This is Talk TV. On the app, on your mobile, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Of course, we are here for your delectation, for your information uh, and for many other reasons as well. And we are here 24-7 on Sky, on Virgin Media, on Freeview, now on Freesat as well. Uh, you can find us on Sky at 526-627 on Virgin, 237 on Freeview, 217 on Freesat. Still on YouTube, still on Apple TV, all of the great uh, places where we were before, we still are. Except now we're on live television as well. And uh, it's a great thing. 
going. So don't miss it for a second because we've got uh, Ian Collins coming up at one o'clock. We've got uh, Jeremy Carl coming up from four. Um, and of course, from seven o'clock, Tom Newton done with the news desk. Piers Morgan at eight. Uh, and then Sharon Osborne uh, with the talk at nine. Uh, and then Daisy McAndrew with the news at 10 o'clock. In fact, I think tonight it might be James Whale, actually, uh, who is back in his all, all of his glory, uh, in full glorious technicolour, so you don't want to miss that either. Right now, let us talk to yet another um, Talk TV presenter, Nick Dubois, uh, former Tory MP, of course, himself. Nick, a very good morning to you. Uh, good morning to you, Mike. Now, I know you've already taken exception to the way that we uh, plugged this particular segment of the show by doing hashtag Tory porn. Um, but I thought, listen... You may as well charge ahead and, uh, and get people's attention. And that's kind of what we're doing here at Talk TV, because I'm, for one, um, slightly concerned that I don't really know enough about the facts of this story because there don't apparently seem to be any facts. All we're told is that one or possibly two or three people witnessed a Tory MP apparently looking at pornography on his phone while he was in the chamber of the House of Commons. Now, there's all manner of reasons why they could have seen that or thought what they saw was pornography. I mean, there's any number of ramifications, if you know what I mean. Well, uh, I'm inclined to suspect, however, that there's probably truth behind these allegations because of the number of people involved. Mm. Um, However, uh, you know, the thing to me is, I was quite surprised Ofcom found that something like 15 million of us watch porn at different times. So that an MP is looking at porn, I suppose, on those statistics, we shouldn't be too surprised. Mm. But it is absolutely outrageous um, that someone should sit in Parliament and think this is an acceptable thing to do. It, it, It really isn't. You know, there's all sorts of things that I think you could read into this, apart from the current debate on uh, the, the, the treatment of women in Parliament. You know, what does it say about our Parliament, our mother of parliaments, the best Parliament in the world? And I know a lot of people will disagree with that, but it frankly is uh, that someone wants to disrespect this chamber so much uh, as this person is alleged to have done. Um, and, and, and for my mind, uh, there needs to be a really swift investigation to establish the facts behind this. And then we will see how action takes. But there's also a lot of people making very daft claims about this person needs to be dismissed. This person needs to be kicked out. They can be kicked out of the party. That's in the gift of the party to do that if it's proven. Um, But it's a very long process to actually kick an MP out of Parliament. It's not that easy. And people suggesting it is are wrong. Well, they are wrong because the person, whoever it may be, has been elected, duly elected by a a group of constituents who wanted that individual to be their representative in Parliament. So in a way, it's possibly up to them more than it is up to anybody else. But the other thing... Sorry. I was going to say, the other thing that that bothers me about this, Nick, is that we see all these people jumping to this kind of, you know, uh, conclusion that it's obviously a very toxic workplace. You know, there's misogyny everywhere you look. There's people drinking, fighting. I mean, yes, there have been those incidents. And yes, there have been. And we've been preoccupied with Angela Rayner's legs all week. But the bottom line is that, you know, we don't yet know what this guy was doing. And we don't yet know what he was looking at. I mean, I've, I've already had conversations with people who said, you know, some people will send... Uh, a WhatsApp message to you thinking it's a joke, you open it and suddenly there's something rather, dis, uh, you know, sort of yeah. dis, distracting and, and not to say maybe obscene. Um, yeah. I don't know um, how long he was watching it for. I don't know what he was watching. You know what I mean? Look, you can go on, um, you can go on Twitter and uh, easily, I'm sure, click on, uh, I was reading here that you can easily click on um, pornography. But 
the bottom line is an investigation has to establish exactly what was going on here. Right. I find it actually not very credible, some of the potential explanations being put forward, but I'm not the judge here. What I do know is, though, um, that if you are sitting in the chamber of the House of Commons uh, and you, if you look on TV, so many MPs are on their phones. Now, yeah. I'm not suggesting for one minute they're all looking at porn, but you know, who knows what they are looking at. Um, but the fact is they are all sitting on their phones. Uh, sometimes it's because they're just waiting to speak for hours on end. And I've got to tell you, it can be extremely uh, tedious doing that. You have to sit in the chamber for sometimes hours before you speak. But again, I come back to this point. It is uh, utterly inappropriate to be watching porn. It would be utterly inappropriate to watch a number of things that uh, we should be concentrating on the day job. And frankly, if any any job you were in, you were watching porn at work, yeah. you should be kicked out on your backside. Well, absolutely um, right. I mean, of but, course, and there would be no question about that. But that's why I find it extraordinary that these things are so kind of gargantuan. They take on this kind of life of their own. Surely, if the name of the person is known, which apparently mm. it is to the Tory party, um, yeah. they, can, they can move on this very quickly. And rather than well, have some long, drawn-out investigation, call the guy and say, look, what were you doing? What were you watching? And when he comes clean and says, this is what I was doing, uh, whatever that may be, they then take a judgment on what they do with him. I suspect it will come down, though, to, to he said, um, he said, she said in this case, because I'm not sure how on earth you would be able to prove it. And, 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 and it sounds all, all very difficult. So I think it's going to be messy. The, the bottom line is, though, the party will be able to form a judgment really quickly. Um, and if they choose to suspend this person from the party, uh, pending an investigation by the parliamentary standards, which is who the chief whip is threatening to refer this to, although he can't do it, I don't think, it has to be a complainant who actually, so it would be someone who witnessed what uh, is alleged to have happened, yes. would have to complain. And then, and only then, if they find him, if you like, guilty of the offence, if he is suspended for 10 parliamentary days or more, you can start the process of a recall for election. That takes months. So the idea that this person will be out of parliament quickly unless they chose to resign mm. is just for the birds. The parliamentary party, you know, I can see the conversation with the chief whip whether he's basically going to say this is not true. Right. You know, what does he do unless right. you heard, we've heard it reported that one of the complainants was attempting to take a photo of what he was watching. That suggests that they were sitting next to each other virtually. Yeah. Um, well, uh, I mean, that's the thing, but this is what I'm saying. I can't imagine anybody being as stupid as that. Exactly. When you've got people sitting right behind you and you've got your phone here and people behind you, can see they're, they're higher up than you because that's the way it's stacked. I mean, it, it, does, it beggars belief. Well, yes, but don't don't forget, um, stupidity is is something that has been proven before in these environments. <laughs> I am certain that there was a a select committee where an MP was filmed playing a video game when he was meant to be sitting at the, a uh. select committee. Stupid things happen. People do stupid things. Um, but but I think there's a reasons why we find find we're all finding this so offensive, and it's not just in the context of the the misogyny discussion. Going 
going on and and the suggestions now that this place is uh, resembling something of a, a a late night brothel and bar which is of course absolute nonsense yeah. but that's the kind of toxic debate that we're going to enter into i mean we should never forget behind pornography there is actually uh, an industry and it's yes. not a very wholesome no, absolutely industry, right and, and that is another um, factor that we'll have to take into consideration nick we've got to go uh, we've got to run we are uh, at talk tv uh, we've got more coming next the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Good morning and welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham, the home of free speech, the place where the truth uh, can never hide, the place where you will find out everything you need to know uh, to arm yourself, not only for the day, uh, but for the night and possibly for the rest of the week. We've got all sorts of uh, ways of telling you about things uh, because, of course, we've got many guests coming up, uh, including uh, very, very shortly Colonel James Sunderland MP, who's going to talk to us about what's going on in Ukraine, what our policies should be, uh, whether we should be concerned about what uh, basically uh, Vladimir Putin has been threatening, whether we should be a bit harder and harsher on our European neighbours, particularly France, particularly Germany, uh, people who are, of course, otherwise engaged in more or less funding uh, some of the armory that is being fired on Ukrainian people and on Ukrainian buildings and on Ukrainian targets. We'll also be talking coming up a little bit later on some more about that Prince Charles idea, uh, which he's rather keen on, which is to put masks on cows because apparently it's going to stop them from breathing methane into the atmosphere. Doesn't sound like a very good idea to me. I mean, apart from anything else, right, a cow generally spends most of its day chewing the cud and eating grass, doesn't it? More or less. I mean, I know sometimes they get fed feed, uh, which is not supposed to be the best thing to give cows. The best thing to do is to grass feed them. And we funnily enough heard that from Helena Nicklin when she was over in Ireland. She'll be in later on as well with some champagne. But here's the thing. The bottom line for me uh, is that if you're going to put a mask on a, cre- on a creature uh, which is against its will, then surely that could be seen as some kind of animal cruelty, couldn't it? For heaven's sake. What's going on? Also, if you're in the vicinity uh, of the M25, particularly the southern part of it, the Clackett Lane service station or indeed uh, the one near Cobham, uh, both of them on the southern end of the M25, uh, you might come across some Just Stop Oil uh, protesters who have decided now to target petrol stations. So if you're trying to get petrol down there, you won't be able to. Absolute and utter shambles, ridiculous state of affairs. Something has really got to be done. We might indeed ask uh, Colonel James about that as well. This is the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. We are talk radio. Radio now turned into Talk TV, coming to you from the Talk Radio studios. Of course, uh, the number you need is this: 0344 499 1000. Uh, we'll be here until one o'clock. This is Mike Graham. Let us say a very good morning to Colonel James Sunderland, MP, Conservative MP for Bracknell, Army officer for 26 years. Colonel James, very good morning to you. Hello, Mike. You well? Very well indeed. A slightly uh, perplexed, I suppose I could say, about these um, morons from Just Stop Oil who seem to have gotten back on the... Uh, they've obviously done a week of school and decided they didn't like it, and so they've come back out onto the motorways to wreak havoc. I've seen uh, some video footage of them spray-painting onto um, petrol pumps so you can't actually see what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, they're causing all sorts of vandalising of other things. I mean... They're all the same people. Every time I see the videos, it's all the same people. There's only about six of them. Surely there must be something we can do. Yeah, lock them up is the simple answer. Yeah, um, that's what I would do. You know, they don't speak for the rest of us. They've got their views. They're a bit extreme. Um, we're changing the law right now to make sure that uh, disruptive protest uh, can't be tolerated. 
And when they're blocking them, blocking routes and gluing themselves to motorways and stopping ambulances getting through, it's pretty outrageous. It so really, it really is. Let's chuck them in jail. Yeah, I mean, the, tr- the trouble is, um, I don't think they fear. I mean, when we did actually throw some of them in jail, they stopped for quite a considerable period of time because I don't think they quite, they really liked going into jail. So, so that would be a, a one thing to do. But I mean, you know, th- th- this kind of mad obsession that some of these kids have got, and they're not all kids because there's some older people as well. They genuinely believe that the Earth is going to become extinct if we don't stop driving around on it. I-, I totally agree. We've got one of the most aggressive green policies of any Western nation in the world. We've got our net zero targets. We've got, um, you know, no new diesel petrol cars to be sold from 2030, carbon neutral by 2050. I mean... This agenda is really aggressive. COP26 was really successful for us as well. So why not work with the government to make this legitimate and realistic rather than just obstruct and uh, be difficult? Well, exactly right. I mean, to be honest, I would rather the government didn't have quite such a green agenda. And I'm sort of hoping against hope that there might be another um, penalty charge notice on the way for Boris, because every time he gets one, he does something conservative. (laughs) Well, no, come on, I clearly can't talk about that. But, but, but what I would say to you is that uh, it's clear in my mind that uh, net zero is the way to go, but it's an evolution. It's not revolution. What we can't do is turn off our supplies of hydrocarbons. We absolutely have to keep the cost of living down. This is about um, white van man going to work in the morning. It's about feeding his family. So yeah. I'm afraid we still need to be extracting the cheapest possible form of energy. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss and if that's hydrocarbons then so be it no absolutely right particularly as we are now struggling with the with the cost of living and how expensive things are i mean also if you're driving around the m25 this morning and you pull into one of these places to get some petrol because you are working and you are needing to get from point a to point b and you suddenly find you can't get petrol and then you can't go anywhere i mean i've already heard stories of people who who are driving less at the moment because they simply can't afford it I agree with you. I mean, look at the price of fuel at the moment. It's gone through the roof. I mean, I can recall barely a year ago, 18 months ago during lockdown, when we were paying one pound twenty, one fifteen yeah. uh, a litre. So it's gone up a lot because of that. And we all know why. It's because of the, the global supply chain crisis. It's because of Ukraine. Um, let's go on. But, but what I would say to you is that, uh, yeah, let's get on the bus. Let's get on the train. Let's get on our push bikes. Let's walk. Um, there are always alternative ways of travelling. Um, but for those who have to use their cars, I do sympathise. And, 
you know, I would urge everyone to do what they can to keep the cost down. Yes. And I know that there's a whole wide range of things that, that we can talk about. There's some of them you may or may not wish to talk about. I'm just going to throw things at you, if you don't mind, um, James, and let me know uh, whether you want to get into it. But, I mean, there's talk of, of Rishi Sunak being put under some pressure uh, to sort of release either some funds back into the uh, public uh, domain or to try uh, and reduce the tax burden, if at all possible. Um, where's the sort of party on that, as far as the Westminster group of MPs is concerned? Well, it's pretty simple. I mean, I think we have to reduce the cost of living. We are a low state, low tax party. That's the ideal. Um, clearly, we've got an unprecedented... Well, it used to be. I don't think you can say that anymore, can you? Well, we, we still are. But but don't forget, it's, uh, it's indicative of a pragmatic government that's fiscally responsible, that we've got to put money back into the Treasury, having borrowed so much in the pandemic. And this is a responsible conservative government. So, of course, we're low tax. Of course, we don't want to put taxes up. But the other thing is we put national insurance up because of the need to fix social care. This has been bubbling for decades and decades and decades, and this government's fixing it. So uh, I'm pretty happy at the moment that the decisions that are being taken, as difficult as they are, are the right way to go. Yeah, absolutely right. Let's talk a bit about foreign policy, because I know you want to uh, get into what's the, uh, what's happening in Ukraine. Uh, basically, Russia has been warning against foreign intervention now for quite some days. Um what do you think is going to be the, uh, the the way out of all of this? Well, t- tactically, nothing's really changed over the last couple of months. You've got a situation where Russia, as the aggressor, has invaded a sovereign neighbour. Um, the Ukrainians are fighting back. I mean, the Russians were never going to be welcomed as liberating heroes. The Ukrainian people do not want Russian soldiers on their soil. And nothing's really changed. But what has happened, I think, is that the rhetoric is being ramped up. And I think that the rhetoric coming out of the Kremlin this week is is probably indicative of the fact that Putin is rattled, the fact that the plan is failing, the objectives are not being met. And therefore, I think it's just ramping up to scare people. Yeah, I mean, I think that is really the problem, isn't it? But I was speaking to uh, Frank Ferradi earlier on in the show about this kind of um, the involvement of the European Union and some of the European Union countries individually, uh, which are kind of doing very different things. You know, we've got Germany, which is still supplying a lot of money to Russia for their gas. We've got other countries refusing to pay for the gas in rubles and then being cut off by Russia. Uh, we've got Hungary which is still very much a sort of supporter tacitly, if you like, maybe not so tacitly, uh, of, of Putin's activities. And the French, of course, who were selling arms to them um, shortly before this all happened. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. As I said yesterday, uh, this is actually the newest television station in the entire world. Unless, of course, you can tell me that somebody else started up a TV station on Monday. I don't think you can. Uh, therefore, I'm claiming it. Uh, we used to call ourselves the fastest growing radio station on the planet. And look what we've grown into. Grown into a television station. We're talking to uh, Colonel James Sunderland, MP. Uh, grateful for you uh, to stay with us, James. Let's talk a little bit about the opposition for a change. Because, uh, you know, you guys have probably been board uh, completely rigid being asked questions about Boris Johnson and Partygate. Uh, the Durham police now seem to think that they might want to have another look at Sir Keir Starmer's little uh, beer-swigging uh, endeavour, which may or may not have been a work event. What's your, uh, what's your take on it? Well, Mike, um, my politics, I think, is very objective. What I don't like to do too much is talk about the opposition. I'd much rather talk about the good things that the Conservatives are doing, um, the manifested promises being delivered and the good policies we've got. But what I would say to you is that uh, those who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. And my point, therefore, is that uh, 
Partygate's been weaponized by the left, weaponized by, by the opposition. Um, it's been done to death. Yes, what happened there was wrong. I've called it out. Um, you know, nobody condones that kind of behavior. But what you can't do is, is go out on a limb to call it out when, when there may be skeletons in your own closet. Yes, so, uh, so, so my simple view is that uh, if there's an allegation um, of inappropriate behaviour, which may be against the law, then quite rightly Durham Police did to investigate yeah. it in the same way that the Met have. Because I think the people of this country deserve better. I mean, Boris Johnson said that, and I think he's absolutely right. So Keir Starmer, I heard him uh, saying today, well, there was no rule covering, um, you know, campaigning. And I'm like, well, they weren't going to give you a rule specifically for campaigning. You know, the point is, is that we all knew roughly what the rules were. I used to come to work every day here uh, and produce a radio show uh, which went out for three hours and one o'clock. I didn't go outside the uh, studio and have a couple of glasses of wine with, with my colleagues. I went straight home because that was the rule. And that was fairly well enforced in uh, the building within which I work. Um I think the trouble with, with, with a lot of politicians and the, a lot, the way the public see them is that they think there's one rule for everybody else and they can do what they like. Well, that's not the case because, um, you know, Boris Johnson and the Chancellor and others have been given a fixed penalty notice. So that in itself should reassure people that there's one rule for all of us. And, and, and if, of course, the allegations with Keir Starmer have any, any weight behind them, be investigated there as well. Mm. Uh, what I would say is, you know, I followed the rules. I came in also um, by train into Westminster throughout the pandemic. It was the right thing to do um, in terms of the work that I had to do. Um, but, but by the same token, what happened number 10 was wrong. But I, but I don't unnecessarily blame the staff there because ultimately they, they were working together in a work environment. And Boris Johnson's fixed penalty um, took place when he accepted some cake at a work meeting with work colleagues in his place of work. Now, I'm not saying for one second that uh, that breaking the law is right, and of course I, 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 I've been critical of it, but we just need to be empathetic that politicians are human, they make mistakes, mistakes are made by everyone, so let's just be kinder to each other, um, and let's also you know, do our best to follow the law. Being kind is one of those weird things, isn't it? Because sometimes, it's, whenever anybody issues a be kind order in places like the House of Commons, it doesn't last very long. Um, same in Scotland, you know, they decided to invent what they thought was be a new kind of politics in Scotland uh, because they could all sit around in a circle and everybody would get on a lot better uh, instead of having this sort of adversarial idea of the mace in the middle and two sets of, uh, of, of, of sort of combatants on either side of the chamber in London. But it doesn't really work. I don't think being kind is really the way forward. Well, I mean, being kind is good. Um, I don't want to sound too idealistic. It's not always good, though. But, but no, but the point is, politics doesn't need to be so adversarial. We can raise the bar. Politicians can raise the bar of their behaviour. You know, let's start commending the good things that we're doing rather than unnecessarily attack the opposition. My personal view is that politics is, is actually really quite a useful thing to do. Politicians work very closely together. Select committees have politicians from, from every party on board. We work really well together. There's great friendships across all sides of the House. It's just a shame that people see what happens in the chamber, in that theatre, that, that, that theatrical drama um, forum, and think that's the way politics is. That's not the case at all. But I do believe that we can be kinder to each other, and I do believe that we should be supporting each other as well. OK. What do you make of this story about the Tory MP supposedly watching porn in the House of Commons? I mean, I find that extraordinary. So do I. I mean, why on earth would you do it? Um, it's disrespectful to those that serve around you, disrespectful to democracy, disrespectful to the speaker. And, and 
you know, come on. This is one of the most monitored places on earth. We've got cameras in every corner. Mm. We've got microphones. Uh, we work together very closely. So um, if the allegations are proven to be true, um, I'll be very disappointed. Well, me too. I mean, I like you, I can't imagine anybody being that stupid. You know, and I wonder whether what anybody thinks that they have seen is not the way that it's being described. Because as ever, this is being now turned into a whole uh, sort of, you know, passion play about how toxic the the environment is in in Westminster and how misogynistic and how ghastly and how people are constantly getting drunk and fighting each other. You know, it gives this impression, which I know to be wrong, but which the media loves to, to play up to. Well, it sells stories, but when I can tell you for a fact that the environment here is not toxic, uh, it's not competitive at all. We work very well together. It's very professional. I have not seen a single example of misogyny in my time here as an MP. Um, but uh, and the other thing that really frustrates me, of course, is that politicians are guilty until proven innocent. What a load of nonsense. Um, so until this is proven, then we need to give whoever it is a little bit of, uh, of leeway to allow the investigation to take place and the conclusions to be drawn. Um, so what I would say to people listening to the programme is that politicians aren't all corrupt. They're not all toxic. Um, there are some really good people working here, working really, really hard for the good and benefit of their constituencies on both sides of the house. And I think we need to do a bit more to just raise the game in terms of how we report on politics too. And final question for you, and I appreciate you spent a lot of time with us, Colonel James. Um, Boris Johnson is about to have another um, a sort of test, I suppose, of his popularity uh, with the local elections coming up without being specific about any areas or anything like that. Is there any uh, sort of level, I suppose, of defeat which is what many people are predicting, which you could see damaging his ability to continue as Prime Minister? I mean, from my own experience, um, support's definitely holding up in, in my part of the world. I've been out canvassing on the doorsteps over the last few weeks. Mm. Um, we don't know how the elections are going to go, but what I would say is two things. Firstly, these are local elections. So what people would, would hopefully do is look at local issues, look at how their councils are performing, how their councillors are performing. And I can tell you that Conservative councils across the country are doing a really, really good job. They're balancing the books, value for money, the list goes on. Um, the second thing is that I don't think that national politics or media reporting on what's happening in Westminster should unnecessarily influence people in terms of how they vote. So I would urge people to vote with their brain, um, with their heart, and not necessarily with the tabloids. OK, I don't, I'm, not going to, I'm not going to let you blame the tabloids for everything, but thank you very much indeed. Colonel James Sunderland there, uh, MP for Bracknell, former army officer, of course, of 26 years standing, a man who knows a thing or two uh, about what is going on in this country. Um, you might have a view on everything that he said, in which case we'd like to hear from you, 0344 499 because this porn story for me uh, is very odd indeed. Until you know precisely what's supposed to have been seen or being looked at, you can't really make a judgment. The other breaking news that we've got for you, which is also about the opposition as far as uh, uh, Colonel Sunderland is concerned, Labour MP Liam Byrne has been found to have bullied a former member of staff and will be suspended from the Commons for two days. So these stories kind of keep coming. Um, he's an ex-Cabinet Minister. He's MP for Birmingham Hodge Hill. Apparently he ostracised a former assistant after what's being described as a minor office dispute. That will mean, obviously, uh, that his behaviour was, in their words, a significant misuse of power. So here's what we've got. Uh, we've got bullies. Uh, we've got porn addicts. Uh, we've got um, misogynists. We've got drug takers. We've got alcoholics. That's the British Parliament for you. Brilliant, isn't it? This is Talk TV. 
edgy talk, plain talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old-fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Online on DAB Plus, Talk Radio, and Talk TV. Welcome back to Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Welcome back to the newest television station uh, on the planet. I say that because I don't think anybody else launched a TV station on Monday, did they? Uh, if you can tell me, then we don't mind giving them some credit. But it's, I think Talk TV is the only television station that was launched on Monday with Tom Newton Dunn, with Piers Morgan, uh, with Sharon Osbourne, and of course, all of the fabulous uh, Talk Radio TV presenters Julie Hartley Brewer, myself, um, Ian Collins, Jeremy Kyle. Um, you've got Kevin O'Sullivan doing a show with me at the weekends and doing one of his own. James Whale, of course, as well. Nick Dubois, uh, Peter Cardwell. I could, the list goes on and on. Daisy McAndrew. You know, there's loads. So many people to talk about. And Rob Rinder as well. Uh, we've got loads. Coming up in this hour, of course, it's Thursday, so we will be celebrating. We're going to celebrate uh, our birth with a bit of champagne. Helen Nicklin's going to be popping along uh, with some champers, and the more the merrier. So we'll be looking forward to that. Sebastian Gorker up first, though, live from Washington, D.C., of course. He is the former White House aide to Donald Trump, host of the America First show and host of the America First podcast as well. A man um, of many parts and uh, somebody that we speak to and often uh, on this very show. And this is the first time we're going to be seeing him on proper TV right here in the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Sebastian, welcome and a very good morning to you. Congratulations. I am uh, chinking my uh, Thai food tea with well your stampers. Congratulations to everybody at Talk TV. Yes, no, thank you very much indeed. It's been quite a week. It's been very exciting. And uh, thank you very much for your uh, input last week, just when we couldn't quite see you, but when we were uh, having that conversation about Piers Morgan and Donald Trump, because the Trump interview, actually, as we watched it later on, uh, the beginning part of this week was really very interesting. You know, the, the bit at the, at the, that was being sort of promoted as, as the big walkout, I think was was much less important in a way than than the way Donald Trump spoke because it was fabulous to see him back um, on the news agenda. Fabulous always to hear his voice, whether you agree with the guy or not. He has got so much charisma and so much kind of chutzpah about him. Um, he's the guy you want, isn't he? Oh, absolutely. If you're fed up with the swamp, if you're fed up with the usual quote-unquote political elite doing business as usual, scratching each other's backs and footsie under the table, then he's the guy you want. He's the, he's the quintessential outsider who just wants to fix things for all Americans. Shockingly, and this is what the left never understands, Mike, when I served with him in the White House, I realized very soon he wants all Americans to prosper and be safe whether or not they voted for him, right. which is stuck what you really want. You want somebody who just loves the nation and wants to fix it. And that's him. And unlike all the other presidents, I mean, just have a little experiment after the show. Have a look at the photographs of presidents when they come into office and when they leave. I mean, you know, George Bush, Obama, they went completely gray. They aged about 20 years. This man is like Benjamin Button. He looks younger (laughs) now than he did when he went into the office. And that's why we're so excited. I, I tell you, it, it's going to be very soon. He's going to announce that he's running yeah. and uh, got a shot at saving the nation from this senile old man. Uh, because the other thing that I always find interesting, uh, and, and this is, uh, again, something unique to him, uh, is that he goes into the White House pretty wealthy. He comes out of the White House pretty much the same. Everybody else that goes in there comes out a multimillionaire when they were only supposed to be making like 100 grand a year before that. Yeah, and the news yesterday that the current incumbent of the White House, Slow Joe, 
he forgot to declare $5.1 <laughs> million of income. I mean, that happens to you all it's the easy, time. Easy to do. You know, oh, where did that $5 million go? I just missed it. Yeah, was it in Ukrainian currency or not? <laughs> Either that or in cocaine for his son. A big mountain of cocaine. <laughs> I see, by the way, that Elon Musk is now saying on Twitter that he wants to buy Coca-Cola so he can put the cocaine back into it. Oh, my gosh. That guy's such a disruptor. He really is. I think to see the establishment media and the left wing, their hair on fire, just go completely mental. Look, let's be clear here. This guy isn't, you know, I grew up under Maggie Thatcher. I, I consider myself a, you know, a traditional conservative. This guy, he, he's not a conservative. He leans, you know, libertarian, maybe. He's got some questionable business relations with China. But the fact that everybody on the left, the crazies, the Washington Post, types cnn the democrats hate this guy because he wants more freedom of speech on twitter it's just delicious to oh. watch oh it really is and also the idea that all these critics are saying oh you know this is going to be the uh, the revisiting of of hate speech and people are going to be bullied online and harassed and they're going to be pylons and it's like what do you think is happening now on twitter it happens it's been happening with if you have a right-wing view uh, you are bullied you're harassed uh, you have people piling on you telling you that you're a racist you're a bigot you're a horrible individual you're cruel i mean even the old archbishop of canterbury here has told people you know if basically if you vote tory you're you're, you're a satanist yeah it is a cesspit and if you're a conservative if you dare say crazy things really you know racist bigoted things like a man is a man and chromosomes yeah, shocking that, that you know you are the worst of the worst but it's fascinating all this you know alleged distortion in favor of conservatives in the last 72 hours since the deal was confirmed people like myself donald trump's son who's still on twitter we have seen massive and i mean massive increases in followers mm. in interaction in likes which means somebody's very busy shredding and getting rid of evidence in palo alto at twitter headquarters yeah. because they're worried that there's a new boss who has actually said this already this is this is the first test i said if he does this this guy's serious he has already said in a tweet i am going to make the the, the mystical algorithms open source yes. so behind the curtain as to whether or not they're censoring you. And everybody should celebrate that. No? Yeah. No, listen, I, I, I've often been very puzzled by some of the things that happen on Twitter. I mean, I've got a very small number of fans, uh, followers compared to you. But, you know, I, for example, never see Julie Hartley Brewer's tweets. I never, I have to go and look for them. They never appear in my timeline. I follow her. I tweet her quite a lot. So you would think that any algorithm would, would put us in the same box, but apparently not. And in the same way as lots of other... I never see your tweets. I have to go looking for your tweets before you come on to see what you've been saying, you know, to see what you've been talking about. And I was fascinated, actually, by uh, a retweet that you'd made of Dave Rubin talking uh, to Elon Musk directly, saying, have a look at some of these organisations like The New York Times, who claim to have 50-odd million followers, but who rarely get very much interaction. Yeah, who, who, get, who get maybe, you know, 20 or 30 likes. Yeah. Got tens of millions. How does, how does that work? And how do I... I've got 1.2 million followers and an average tweet of mine gets uh, 300 likes. Yeah. That's a bit weird, Mike, isn't it? Well, you would have thought so. Yeah, absolutely. So there are many um, sort of mystical things that we will find out uh, with Elon Musk. And I mean, Donald Trump has said that he probably will not go back onto Twitter because he wants to carry on uh, with his own version of it. I, th I think he might change his mind on that. Well, this, this is what I predict. So he, he's got to say that right now because he just... 
got a huge investment, hundreds of millions of dollars to create True Social, yeah. where you the real end. If you go to True Social, his Twitter platform, the interactions with followers is incomparable. It really works. There is no shadow banning, as, mm. as it is called. But so he's got to stick with that for a while. And here's my prediction. He must not go back until two things occur. Elon really cleans it up. We see the, the, you know, the, the man behind the curtain. The algorithms are revealed. And he only comes back if he is given back his account with all 93 million followers. And if that happens, he's going to have to go back because it's a midterm election year for the Congress in November. And then before he runs, which he is going to do in 2024, he needs to at least have a uh, a Trump campaign mirror site on Twitter. So I think he'll be he'll be back, but it'll take at least a year. Yeah, absolutely right. And we were talking uh, to a couple of guests earlier on in the day about the way that Europe is kind of um, tearing itself up into bits about its conversations with Ukraine and with Russia. You know, the Germans who we said last week, uh, quite as, as 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 was pointed out to uh, to Donald Trump. Actually, one of the things I loved about his interview with Piers was when he said he sent a white uh, flag to Angela Merkel and said, you know, you're too reliable on the Russians and he was right again and they're still giving a billion euros a day to Moscow yeah look when when Gerhard Schröder her predecessor um, what was it 15 years ago 20 years when Gerhard Schröder the Chancellor of Germany leaves the chancellery and then becomes the CEO of Gazprom in Russia come on guys mm. I mean you're not just in bed with with Russia, with Moscow. You're trying all kinds of lovely positions with them as well. And the fact that now Poland, one of the staunchest, toughest new members of NATO that knew what it's like to live for decades mm -hmm. under the boot of the Moscow regime under communism is having its gas cut off. Look, it's just common sense. Or look, President Trump is not a, a, a geopolitician who's going to quote to you theories of international relations. He's a pragmatist who's built an empire over 50 years. And he says, hang on a second. That guy's a KGB colonel. He's a bad guy. He kills people. And you're buying more energy from him. That's nuts. And it's just plain common sense. It really is. You must be slightly conflicted, though, Sebastian, about the Hungarian situation, because yeah. the Hungarians are kind of in NATO and yet uh, are not condemning the Russians and are still, I think I'm right in saying, uh, offering to pay for the Russian gas in rubles. Yeah, well, that's a longer discussion. Back in the 90s, <laughs> I was actually an advisor to Orban, who was then the leader of a small 7% opposition party. Now right. he looks the prime minister for life. But look, let, I, I, look, I don't want to make excuses for him because there are serious issues with that regime and also with corruption. But you've got to think, Hungary is a tiny landlocked country. It relies almost uh, 20, uh, almost 50% of its energy comes from outside. And on top of that, there is a sizable Hungarian ethnic minority in Ukraine. Yeah. So he's walking a tightrope right now. Ah. Well, that does explain it. And I, and I thought we should, we, we should get into that a, a slight amount. Let's talk. Uh, we're going to stop talking for a, a, in about a minute's time for a, for a little while. But I want you to think about this story. Special counsel John Durham issued trial subpoenas for members of Hillary Clinton's 2016 campaign. Uh, and the Democratic National Committee as he pushes his case of a joint venture against them. What is that all about? So this is a guy who was um, made independent counsel in the DOJ by, by the Trump administration to investigate the Russia hoax, the, you know, the collusion yeah, yeah. 
allegation. He's been working very assiduously for four years with a small team, and Hillary's team is in trouble because this guy has put FBI agents in prison. He doesn't care who you are. If you're crooked, he's going to take you down. So the fact that just uh, two weeks ago, the Washington Post, Mike, confirmed a year and a half later the Hunter Biden laptop story yes. is means they're trying to cover their backsides because this grand jury that's investigating Hunter Biden, the Russia collusion hoax, Hillary Clinton's uh, propaganda against the president, um, he's not going to be stopped. And they're it's finding gonna be, it. it's going to be fascinating. Just hold that thought. We're coming right back with Sebastian Gorka right here at Talk TV. On your mobile, on your wavelengths, Talk Radio and Talk TV. Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV, the newest television station uh, in the land, possibly in the world, uh, unless you started one on Monday uh, or Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, I'm afraid we're going to take that particular title. We're talking, I'm delighted to say, to Sebastian Gorka uh, over there uh, in Washington, D.C., former White House aide to Donald Trump, of course, uh, host of America First as well. Uh, shows on Newsmax, which you can keep your eyes out on for as well. Sebastian, we were talking there just about the uh, uh, the Clinton campaign, the Durham investigation. Sorry right. to, to, to cut you off there, but our new no. our new uh, rules mean that we have to be absolutely on the button with breaks, otherwise <laughs> we get we get fined or something. So anyway, you've got to go. pay the rent. You've we got have got to pay the rent. rent. Exactly right. So so tell us more. Yes. Yeah, so this is the guy. Look, conservatives are very frustrated uh, in many cases with John Durham because it's taken. Look, the Trump administration left office over a year ago and we want to see people indicted. We want to see a court case. However, this is a very unusual position of special prosecutor. It is made by a president, but he is independent and nobody can stop him because it's meant to investigate people like a serving president as well. Right. So he's working assiduously, working slowly. He only has a five man team. But every time he drops another bombshell, the first one was a 27 page indictment of Hillary Clinton's lawyer saying, uh, dude, you lied when you went to the FBI saying, oh, I've got this dirt on President Trump. He's working for the Russians. And you said to the FBI, I'm just a concerned citizen. I don't have any client I'm representing. And this isn't opposition research. We've got the text messages. We've got the emails or Durham has saying, yeah, I was paid by the Hillary campaign millions of dollars to put up this fake dodgy dossier and pretend to the FBI like it's real. So, you know, the Hillary campaign's lawyer, the cyber team that was given access to the White House when we were there to try and dredge up dirt. He has the internal communication. So when you've got somebody who's clearly singing on the inside, uh, I don't account my chickens, but uh, I think something big is going to drop before the election. Yes. And I mean, if Hillary Clinton did have any uh, hopes of running again, which I'm sure, <laughs> as Donald Trump has said in the past, he'd probably quite enjoy. Um, I don't think she's going to be able to do that, is she? My phrase, and I tweeted this a couple of weeks ago, when they reopened the Clinton Foundation, just that hive of scum and villainy, I said, can we be so lucky? Is she going to run again? Please, please, Lord, make it happen. Because to see my boss crush her, defeat her again on the hustings, it would just be just too, too majestic. Yeah. They are in a right old mess, though, aren't they, the Democrats? I mean, Biden Look, in the White House, clearly incapable of doing the job that he is charged with doing. Uh, doesn't seem to know which end is up. Doesn't seem to know which day of the week it is any, anymore. Um, his, his, his deputy, even worse. I think, I think her approval rating is even worse than his, isn't it? Oh, yeah. She, she has now lost her 12th, 12th member of staff. Her chief of staff walked out on her a few days ago. Look, if you want to take the politics out of it for a second, put the heat down, ask the question like this. 
What would this administration have done differently in the last 15 months if its intent were to actually undermine American interests? Yeah. And it doesn't matter what sector you choose, Mike, whether it's international relations, Afghanistan, Ukraine, Russia, whether it's the economy, record inflation, whether it's immigration, two million illegals across the southern border. Pick a topic and it's out of control. And these people are just hostages to their own ideology. He's seen out yesterday. This is the viral video that, that you can see everywhere. He said in a White House event about children in schools, you know, they're not your children. They're our children. They belong to all of us. And you think, hang on, that's what they said in Maoist China. Yes. You know, it's, you're stuffing your foot in your face every time. And here's the really dangerous thing. And I asked the, the conservative politicians when they come on my show, America First, is there anybody normal left on yeah. Capitol Hill? Can you talk to anybody substantively about a real issue? And they say, nope, at least not in public. That tells you that they become radicals. Yeah, well, this is it. I mean, the Labour Party have been uh, getting their knickers in a twist, for want of a better word, um, over the Angela Rayner uh, affair. I don't know whether you followed that, where yeah. uh, she's accused of uh, doing the old Sharon Stone manoeuvre uh, to try and pull <laughs> Boris Johnson off. I don't think it's working, by the way, if that is what she's doing. Um, but <laughs> I don't it, think that's. A, I don't. You, I don't think you use that with Bojo. No, I mean, you know, he he can he can talk a hundred hundred miles an hour while that's all going on. But the thing is, um, <laughs> no no one in the Labour Party until that moment practically could actually define what a woman was but they're now accusing the Tories of misogyny how do they know what misogyny is if they can't define a woman bingo bingo and how can you talk about women's rights how can you talk about feminism if you don't know what a woman is if I can declare right now on you know your show Mike Graham's Independent Republic I am a woman because I feel like it and I'm going to be that for the next 32 <laughs> seconds who can gainsay me who can gainsay nobody, me nobody, no, nobody nobody it's your truth Sebastian you're entitled to your own truth and you know my truth the, the real truth and how about this for for <laughs> another woman in the in the news Nina I don't know if it's Jankowitz or the Yankowitz yes she's yes. been appointed by President Biden to, to head a disinformation board, right, despite the fact uh, that she's basically against free speech and tried to uh, naysay the Hunter laptop scandal. Look, we, we have lots of fun when we come on, when I come on your show. <laughs> you know, talk radio, talk TV is, is superlative. But, but this is really chilling. Yeah. When, when you have a federal arm inside the Department of Homeland Security created literally after September the 11th, to use the tools of federal government, the most powerful government in the world, to keep Americans safe. And now they're going to have a directorate to combat disinformation. Who gets to decide what that is? Is it going to be the next Hunter Biden scandal? Is it going to be the next $5.1 million that Joe Biden didn't declare on his taxes? This is chilling. This, this is worse than George Orwell. Why? Because this isn't a totalitarian state. This is where, allegedly, we chose the government and they are using Orwellian tools. So I want everybody in the UK who loves liberty to keep an eye on this mm. story, because if we see this grow... There will be other people who will try and use these tools in free countries. Oh, they totally will, because it's an advent and a kind of a hangover, if you like, from the whole COVID experience, where yes. some people in government were rather happy that they could put these restrictions on us. I mean, what's happening now, right? And, and I mean, you know that, that by and large, we're supporters of Boris Johnson and, and his government. We know that they made terrible mistakes. But we're now hearing yesterday a high court uh, said it was actually unlawful 
to discharge elderly patients from hospitals into care homes where they got COVID and died. We've had another Commons Committee reporting on the travel restrictions that were imposed on every citizen of this country and other countries. I mean, you weren't coming to this country because you no. you, you, you weren't able to. I wasn't able to see my mother. Also, uh, now being said to have been unnecessary and stupid, we've got people literally leaving Britain with suitcases full of cash that they took out of the uh, the COVID furlough fund, having set up a company five minutes earlier and taken a, 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 a loan and disappearing off into, you know, with five billion quid into, into the ether. So almost everything that they've done has been proven and they're now admitting uh, to being wrong. Look, our founding fathers were geniuses. They came from Europe, they came from England, and, and they realized a very, very simple axiom. And it pertains today more than two centuries later. Big government equals small citizen. And that's what we fight against, yeah. whether it's unelected bureaucrats in Brussels or whether it's faceless bureaucrats at the Department of Homeland Security here. The more power, forget politics, the more power any centralized government has, the less liberties the average citizen has. When you have more powers accrue in the center, then you stop being actual citizens and you actually become subjects to that government's regime, to their politics. And this is about rhetoric. This is about ideology. We know the misinformation isn't going to be about Russian bots. It's going to be about people who undermine a certain political party. And we can't have that. But look, if we can keep the elections clean this time, we're just six months away, I predict there will be a massive shellacking. They will be trounced. The question is, will we see real conservatism as a result? Will there be investigations? And will people who did things that were wrong under COVID, under election fraud, whatever it is, be held accountable? That is the question, Mike. And that is a great question, Sebastian. We have to run. Great to see you. This is Talk TV. Talk radio across the UK, online, on DAB and on your smart speaker. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday, on Talk Radio via DAB online or via the Talk Radio app. And if you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us on 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. Mid morning with Mike Graham, Talk Radio. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.